Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. So, Mike, what's new with your world? Well, uh, you know, fall is here. We're recording this at the end of September, Bela. Um, I think in a uh, previous episode, we talked about the German elections, and those were yesterday. Uh, But even though we know pretty much uh, the tally of the votes, we won't know what the government looks like. Uh, maybe for months. Uh, there, yeah. Now there'll be this kind of coalition building going on. So that's kind of interesting. And um, at our university, we're about to start our semester and we're kind of trying this hybrid. Um, half of the classes are online and half are in the building with people spread out. So I'll teach um, I'll teach some days I'll teach in the building and then some days I'll teach online. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But um, it's been interesting. Not all the students from overseas can get here, uh, can get visas. So that's been a big challenge. Um, so those would be the things I think that I'm seeing from my my seat over here in Germany. What about you? Yeah. Hey, a couple quick questions, Mike. So uh, deciding whether a, a course is online or in the classroom, uh, what are the factors that go into making that decision? Uh, so it was pretty random. So I'd like to say that we took a bunch of factors into consideration, including the course content and the um, the skills of the professor and the needs of the students. Uh, but since the Corona rules are changing here in Germany, usually month by month, um, we didn't have the capacity to put that kind of decision making analysis into play. Uh, so it's basically the day of the week that your class is on. So if you taught on if you teach on Monday or Wednesday, um, you'll be online. And if you teach Tuesday and Thursday, you'll be in the building for the what the big bachelor's program, and then they switch it for the other bachelor's program and the master's program. So um, essentially, it's just man- trying to manage the room capacities. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the small rooms, the small rooms are pretty useless that we have for 15 students now can only hold seven, right? So, and all of our classes have at least 12. Um, so all of our small rooms are useless right now, which is interesting. Oh, I see. So part of it could be a capacity issue uh, and, and classroom size issue driving yeah, that. That's yeah, that's all of it. And you can't mix the days because if a student comes to school and they have um, first they have an in-person class and then right after that they have an online class. Um, we don't have enough space in the building or probably even Internet bandwidth for them to sit down and find a space for them to sit quietly and join an online class. Um, so I will be doing one hybrid. I had to get special permission because I teach it. I'm going to teach it with engineering students and they don't have the same grid. So it'll be. Um, I'll have a room and students are welcome to join us at the end of the day on Wednesdays, which is supposedly an online day. They're welcome to come to the building and join. They have permission to enter the building um, to be there. And uh, but they can also join um, via Microsoft Teams electronically. And I'll have a a student, one of my grad students to help me if there's questions or whatever, because it's hard to teach both in person and watch 
um, you know, 20 students online um, and make sure that they're engaged. So I have a, I have a co-teacher who will help me with that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Hey, I got another question for you about the elections. Uh, I, I can imagine that in Germany, they have a pretty robust election system. So yeah. there's no, no controversy over counting votes or not counting votes, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a, it's a really interesting question. So, you know, we don't have the issue of, we don't have the issue of registration, uh, to vote. It's automatic here. Uh, so you register when you move and you must register, uh, with the government, uh, every time every, at all times you have to be registered. Um, and that's how you're eligible to vote. So they just send you your, your ballot, um, to your address. And th- it's, there's no, am I, am I registered as a, in which party or, or, you know, there's no doubt about that at all. So that makes it a little easier. Um, it's automatic. The, you can either vote by mail or in person. Um, and by mail, it's a little harder, I think, to, to falsify these things because you've got your ID number that's your ID card. And that's, it's, it's impossible to vote. I don't want to say impossible, but it seems like it's a little harder here to vote theoretically more than one time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so those systems are intact. However, I did read that, um, again, some of the fringe parties, um, are, are saying that there's, um, voting fraud going on with the mail votes, even though like in the U S depending on where you sit, there doesn't seem to be evidence. I mean, I read the findings in Arizona, right. That was kind of organized by Republicans and they didn't seem to find any evidence of wide scale votes. So people, from some of the corners, not from the mainstream, from the corners, there's sure. chirping about voting irregularities. But the way the system is set up, it seems like it's much less. There's much less controversy. Yeah, and is the voting run? Is there one system for the whole nation, and the, and and the, the country of Germany runs the voting system, or is it like in this country where sort of each state has its own rules and regulations and times people vote, etc.? So it's a. Um, it is. Uh, we have decentralized voting, but uh, I believe the processes are much more consistent than the U.S. So it's we don't have 50 states. We have now I forget. I'm going to get in trouble because I don't remember. Is it 14 or 17? But and I need to know this, you know, at some point. But um, but we have fewer and they tend to coordinate better than in the U.S. Um, so um, I my understanding is that each state controls its own voting in each region. It's kind of like in the U.S. You have a a precinct and there's a city and a yeah right all that yeah. stuff so it's localized but from my understanding there's not as much variation from one part of germany to the other like i know there is in the u.s um in terms of what the ballots look like and the machines that they use and so on and so forth yeah well cool well that's interesting uh not much going on here uh the weather's getting cooler i will say that uh the leaves are starting to change i think this morning when i got up it was uh 52 degrees and like two days ago it was 45 so yeah it's uh it's cool but the days warm up really nice hey here's here's an interesting one so uh a a week ago week and a half ago we we headed out to rhode island uh on a wednesday because we were going to uh help my son on his house as you know my son bought a house an old house and they're they're kind of renovating it so we're going to spend some time working on the house and some time sailing so we drove out on wednesday and Thursday morning, Elaine wakes up and she's got a tickle in her throat and she's congested. I think if we were at home, we wouldn't have thought anything about it. We just would wait a day or two to see what happens. But 
since since my son and his wife have a new baby, right? There's a three month old baby, and we were going over their house. It and the baby it's not vaccinated, of course. We're super sensitive about those things, so we figured, okay, let's go get a COVID test. And lo and behold, it was really easy. We we first of all, first we tried the pharmacy. So we got on a couple of pharmacy websites and looked for pharmacies that were you know within a reasonable drive. And, and we just struck out there. It was like, we couldn't, we couldn't figure out, we couldn't even navigate the websites <laughs> hardly wow. at all to, to get a, to get a site, you know, you had to call an 800 number. I mean, it was just really complicated, but, and then we, we got on the Rhode Island, the state site, we found places where they do testing and there was a place like three miles away. We got online, we made an appointment. Uh, so we were doing this like at, you know, eight 30 in the morning, we got an appointment. The first appointment we could get was like at noon. We got a noon appointment. It was a drive-through facility. And when you, you had to register and fill out this form, and it said that if, if, you, if you had been exposed to somebody, they would give you just a rapid test. But if you had symptoms, they'd give you a rapid test and the PCR test because the PCR test takes up to 24 hours. So I said, okay, great. So we filled out, we both filled out the forms because I figured, you know, if she's got it, I got it. And, and we went there and got the, got the two, you know, two, two nasal swabs, <laughs> the, uh, the rapid one and then the PCR one. Like in, in, in 45 minutes, we had the results of the PCR, or excuse me, the rapid test came back negative. And, and then like that night at like 10 o'clock at night, we got the results of the uh, PCR test. And man, was it a smooth system and fast and efficient. You know, we drove up, we were in line, two cars ahead of us. We were there for no more than 10 minutes and we were done. It was just remarkable. And I got to say, that was the state of Rhode Island. And I got to say, both the things that the state of New York did in getting our shots, you know, when we got our shots back in March now, and uh, this experience with getting tested, man, they were well run, well executed, just really did a great job. Yeah, that's neat. It's you know, to me that's the way government should work, right? <laughs> yes. Um, and where public private partnerships should should work and it just seems yeah. like politics gets in the way of some of this stuff. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really good. I was impressed. It'll be interesting to see now that they just approved booster shots for people here in the United States and um and for certain age groups and I'm in that age group over 65 and um, it'll be interesting to see now that we have a new governor and a new administration here in New York because our former governor resigned how efficient the booster shot process will be so anyway it's interesting yeah and will they use the same system or a different system will be interesting right right so that was a little bit of a COVID scare we had, uh, but, but all, all is good. All is well that ends well, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So we went out to the boat and uh, on, on Thursday afternoon, after we got the rapid test results, we went over to my son's house and helped him uh, do some renovation work on the house. So that went all good. We actually, a uh, previous visit, installed uh, five new win- six new windows in the house. And this time we sort of uh, trimmed them on the outside and now we're getting ready to do some siding. We're actually going back out to the boat or out to the boat and to him Thursday of this week, going to do some siding. But on this trip, this previous trip, my two nieces came out to the boat as well. Uh, So 
their sisters, and one of them was on the boat with her mom a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so the other one wanted to come out as well, and one of them lives in Boston, uh, goes to school there, and the other niece uh, lives near us in uh, upstate New York. So the two nieces came out, and Elaine and I, and on Saturday, uh, we went out for a sail. Uh, It was quite uh, windless that day, so we motored for the most part. We had a very nice time, and we motored down to Bristol, Rhode Island, which is a nice little town, a nice little harbor and bay down there, and that was really cool. And uh, really, a lot of boats anchored out there, big mooring field with all sorts of wide diversity of boats, mostly sailboats, I will say, probably 80% sailboats. But we saw some really high-performance sailboats that you could tell just just sitting on the water, they looked like they were fast. And uh, then we saw these other boats that, you know, looked like they were made in the 1800s and double mast and, you know, usual or unusual sailing combinations and stuff. And then we, when we were in there, this super yacht pulls into the harbor and drops anchor. And, uh, and, I, and I mean super yacht, I mean super yacht. It was uh, 100, I don't know, 70 feet or something like that and was really big. And the name on the side of it said Blue Moon. So one of my nieces, of course, gets her phone out and starts searching. And sure enough, uh, Blue Moon is a, they had a web, not a, they had a website and they had some YouTube videos about Blue Moon. And uh, I'm going to just type it in here because I'm forgetting a few of the facts. It was uh, oh, 198 feet, Mike. Wow. <laughs> 198 feet. And it had a, a garwood. A, a, there's like three or four really famous brands of wooden, uh, wooden speedboats in the United mm-hmm. States. One is Chris Craft. Probably most people heard of Chris Craft. There's Garwood and there's Hacker. And I think there's one, maybe one other one. And, you know, these big super yachts, they can't get very close to shore. So all of them have like these tenders, they call them, you know, these other little motorboats that they ferry people back and forth to shore with. And this one actually had two of them. And one of them was a, was a, almost a 40-foot garwood. Wow. Now, that, and they're made out of mahogany. And they actually make them up here in upstate New York. I've actually been through the, the factory where they make them. And these, th- that boat itself, just the, the, the tender, the garwood, is a several hundred thousand dollar boat. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this, this is a, a 198 foot boat. It was just gorgeous. And uh, they have several YouTube videos about it. One of them is like a tour through the boat uh, because it's for sale, Mike. You, I, I know, you know, you've been, you've been dying to get into the uh, boating world and this would be perfect for you. Yeah, 100x my net worth probably, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe low down payment, yeah, month, monthly payment, you know, maybe 799 bucks a month, you know, with $1,000 down. And, you know, but by the year 3014, the whole thing could be mine, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's $50 million, Mike. <laughs> Pocket change. And, and it said it costs between 5 and $10 million a year to operate. Yeah, I was going to say the running costs the must be unbelievable. Yeah. The operating cost, yeah. 
And even finding a place to like pump out and get fresh water and things like that must be a challenge with a boat that size. Yeah. Yeah. That that's very true. So, so like at the Marina I'm at, it can't fit. There's no way. (laughs) And actually can't even get in there. (laughs) Right. Right. So there are Marina like Newport Harbor has lots of space for big super yachts. Now it, it may be the reason it was up in Bristol. Bristol is, uh, uh, you know, 20 miles north of Newport. Yeah, it's kind of halfway, right, between Newport and Providence or something. That's right. If I remember yeah. correctly, and it's kind of on the Fall River. It's kind of, isn't it right across from Massachusetts or close it's, to the Massachusetts it, it, side? It's on the mass. It's on the east east side, which is the okay. the Massachusetts side. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, your geography's good. And uh, the, the the boat show was going on in Newport that weekend, and so ah. I uh, the harbor was probably full because the the boat show they take up a lot of dock space with that. And uh, so my, I imagine maybe they got kicked out of Newport or they, they didn't have any space in there because later in the day, another super yacht actually came in and anchored as well. But yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's quite the, uh, it was quite the sight to see one of those. And we, and when we left Bristol Harbor, we, we sailed right past it and it really gives you this idea of scale then, right? Cause when you see it, when it's two, 300 yards away, you don't really appreciate it, but when you're, you know, 30 yards away or you sail right by it and you go, wow. And you can see, you know, there's a half a dozen people out there polishing this and rubbing this and <laughs> doing stuff. It was pretty cool. Unbelievable. I'll have to check out some of those videos. But I suppose it's kind of like the feeling I got. I was walking on the tar- on the runway once. I got out of a small plane, right? And in Europe, sometimes they let you walk on the on the runway. I think they do that in the U.S. now too a little bit. But there was an A380, you know, one of the double decker mm. Airbus planes, mm-hmm. kind of right next door. And you know, the, again, the scale of that thing was huge when you're right next to it. It looks big from afar, but you look up and it's like, oh my gosh. So I know yeah. that feeling from from an airplane standpoint, but yeah, I'll have to check the videos out. That sounds that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was uh, Saturday. Um, we had we saw the super yacht and googled it, googled at it and awed at it, and saw a whole bunch of other boats in Bristol. And uh, we ended up motoring back because again we we had no wind. We we tried to we put up the sails a couple times. The breeze would kick up to you know five to seven knots, and we'd get excited. We put the sails up, and ten minutes later the breeze would die, and we took the sails down again. Uh, but do the nieces know how to sail? Did, can they help, or do you have to teach them? They have both sailed on sunfishes before. Sunfish is a okay. a little, you know, yeah. a 10, 12 foot sailboat with one sail on it. Uh, we had one of those up at the lake, uh, so they've been out on that, and they've been out on a Hobie cat. Uh, their mom uh, used to have a Hobie cat, and they've been out on that a little bit. So they have, yeah, have a little bit of knowledge, but not on a big boat. Mm-hmm. But you know. They're fast learners, as as most young folks are, and uh, you ask them to do something, and they they do it. So it was good to have them on the boat. Yeah, nice. And, yeah, and they want to come back. They didn't. They didn't. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, they want to come back for for the for one of them for the younger one. This was her second time there on the boat. Mm-hmm. So uh, when he, when she heard her sister was coming, she goes, "Ooh, I'm just up in Boston. Uh, I think I can take a day and come down." So that worked out good. Well, well worth it. Yeah. Sailing with Uncle Bela, you know. <laughs> That's right. What's That's better right. than having a sailboat of your own? Having an uncle with a sailboat, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then the next day, uh, on Sunday, um, we had a, a nice nice breeze that day. What we did there was uh, we actually had eight people on board. 
So this wow. was the lar- largest crowd. Yeah. Uh, so there was Elaine and I, uh, our two nieces, uh, Andy and his wife, and their three-month-old baby. Uh, and uh, they have an au pair because uh, Andy and his wife both work. Uh, so they, they, the au pair just showed up a few weeks ago. And uh, so she was there as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of a lot of people on board. And I figured out that uh, my new granddaughter, who's now three months old, she has been on the boat more than anyone else, except for Elaine and I. Wow. (laughs) She's had more. Number one guest status. Yeah, she's she's been there a couple of times just with Andy. uh, And she's been there a couple of times just with her mom. And she was actually, if you count, she was there a few times while she was uh, still in vivo mm-hmm. <laughs> prior to being born. So I figured that out. So she's been on the boat more than anyone else. So, yeah, she gets a, she gets extra special status on the boat. I like it. You should have a frequent sailor club, you know, with a little uh, membership <laughs> card and some perks, maybe a T-shirt or something. You know? Yeah, that's a good idea. Premium so, snacks, you know, like everybody else just gets the peanuts, <laughs> but she gets the cashews, right? Roasted almonds or something like this, right? Warm, warm cashews and warm exactly. almonds. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everybody else gets Chips Ahoy, but she gets fresh-baked cookies, right? I, I could see a whole kind of whole program ahead. Yeah, for, that, that, might be, that might be how they do it on the Super Yacht Blue Moon, Mike. <laughs> I, I'm sure it is, right? That's, I'm sure that's it not is. how we And how your we granddaughter do it deserves the best, Bela, you know? Uh, yes. So yeah. I like an honorary membership into the Platinum Club, you know? Yeah, it'll be aspirational on our on on paradox. Yeah, yeah. Have to get there. So that nice. was that was pretty good. And I'll tell you, hey, you know what the best thing about this past trip was? Yeah, I had no projects to do on the boat. Nice. Well, that was going to be my next question: Was did you see anything when you had that many people on board that you'd want to change, or did it was it all was it all did it all work still? No, it still it still all worked. Uh, you know, it was comfortable. Uh, you know, the cockpit is a big, large cockpit, so you can easily sit six in the cockpit. And and this boat, uh, most sailboats have one steering wheel, and it, it's sort of in the middle of the cockpit, sort of the aft end, but uh, left to right, it's sort of centered in the cockpit. Newer boats, and a, a trend that was started a number of years ago, have two steering wheels. So they're one on the left side of the boat and one on the right side of the boat, again, towards the aft end of the cockpit. But what that does is it really opens up the cockpit uh, and it makes the cockpit much more spacious. So cockpit easily sits uh, six people and then there's two seats uh, way at the stern, sort of on the, on the railing. There's these seats built into the railing. So yeah, we had a, it all worked out just fine. I was, I was pleased with that. I will say that I made the same mistake again. You know, it was pretty good wind, and the wind kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and we should have reduced our sail area sooner because I sort of get into the excitement of sailing, and, you know, with that many people on board, different people have different tolerance for uh, how far the boat leans over. Oops. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we should have have reduced the sail sooner. That's healing, right? Isn't that – you taught me that? Healing, right? Yes. Yeah, the boat heals. And, uh, you know, some people love it and other people get a little nervous about it. And, and the way you, the way you address that is you can, uh, uh, on most boats, there are ways of reducing the sail area. So making the sail smaller, we should have done that sooner 
and that would have would have made people more comfortable. And it's actually better for the boat. The boat gets less forces on it. It's you know the wind's not blowing and putting as much force on various different things on the boat, on the mast and the sails, and and the boat sails easier. But you know anyway, I've made that mistake a couple times now, and one of these days I'll uh, I'll get it right. Yeah, and I think. You know, I've been on a boat like this and, you know, you have to think, okay, the physics of this thing, it's not going to tip over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it just isn't, but people aren't comfortable with it, right? They're That's not right. sure, right? That's right. There's really, the keel is so big, right? That, and then, but, right, I guess it's, and what, you you reef the sails? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's right, Mike. Yep, yeah, you reef the sails. Told me yep. this too. And you reef the sails and then it won't lean, right? It won't heal so that's much. That's right. And it stays. It won't heal as much. Because there's less force, right, on the, on the sails pushing the boat. So you go slower, but you stay more vertical. Actually, oftentimes you don't go slower because the hull of the boat uh, is not designed to be leaned over uh, a, a, a ah, long so way. Ah, there's more resistance. That's right. That's right. So there's sort of this optimal heel angle, if you will. And as, as what happens is as the boat leans over more and more, uh, the resistance goes up, and as the boat leans over, the mast leans over, of course, and the sails spill more and more wind. Mm-hmm. So the so and, and the wind and and the way the wind then goes across the sails is less efficient. So you you lose. <laughs> right, it feels like you're going faster because you're leaning way you're over. Leaned, oh, you're healed. Yeah. Right, uh, but the the boat actually often sails uh, faster when the boat's trimmed properly. And if you look at, if you look at most racing boats, uh, even the America's cup boats, they don't lean much, mm-hmm. right? They, at least not on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. They, they, they try to keep them, um, you know, 10, 15 degrees at the most. And again, because the sail, the sail efficiency goes down and, and the, the hull and the hull through the water efficiency goes down. So, yeah. Interesting. So. So, yeah, so you must be able to develop some sort of simple little device that when the boat hits a certain angle, it alerts your, your watch, right, or your phone and says, hey, Bela, reef the sails. Yeah, yeah. Well, on my boat, it's 15 knots of wind. So right, we should be able to set up a reminder, right? It's artificial yeah. intelligence. Come on, right? We've got all I, that. I ha- th- there's a gauge right in front of me that tells me how hard the wind's blowing. Right. Right? You need to put like a red piece of tape, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Yeah, I just, I just need to, you know, not be so excited. I go, hey, the wind's really blowing. This is fun. Finally, right? We've had all these days of, right. of no air, right? And now, and like I said, you know, no projects this time. So that was that was sort of really nice. The, most of the all the times I've been there, I've been working on something, and uh, I actually just took a little bit of time and and waxed the cockpit a little bit. You know, put a coat of wax on the fiberglass, but there was no no maintenance thing to do. No upgrade to do, so that was a nice feeling nice. too. Finally, got stuff caught up pretty good on the boat. Nice, just in time to winterize, All right? But that's okay, All right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. I just scheduled that. As a matter of fact, it's coming out at the end of October. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there'll be a little so bit you of have work about to a do month to get... left. Yeah. Yep, there'll be a little bit of work to do to get her ready to pull out of the water. So right, yeah, so that's it che- for this episode, Mike. I think. Yeah, you can check Bristol, Rhode Island off your list, right? Been there, done that. Looks yeah. looks nice. Someplace yeah. folks can go and, and check it out. Um, yep, no new projects, which is great. You set a record for the number of people on board. Paradox, right? And you've identified your first uh, frequent sailor for your frequent sailor program. <laughs> We've done all that in, in 
Um, gee, let's, it's about 30, less than 30 minutes, Bela. So I think, yeah, we should, we should call it a day. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's wrap this Excellent. one up, Mike. Yeah, well, listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode um, of now we're calling the sailing and cruising the East, right? So I have to get the name right. Um, yeah. But we hope you found our conversation interesting and somewhat thought-provoking. And, of course, if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, we always encourage and invite you to get in touch with us. Our email address is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, you know, if you enjoy the podcast, hit that follow button on your podcasting app. And, hey, if you know of someone that would make a good guest for the show, uh, let us know. I'd like to find a a guest or two to interview for the the show. And... uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there and, and there's, uh, you know, 30 or 40 sort of famous people in the sailing community that all these podcasts interview. interview. I'd like to find some non-famous people, you know, maybe some interesting characters that our listeners have met or have come across and, uh, you know, reach out to us in an email, let us know, and uh, we'd love to figure out how to contact them and ask them if they'd like to be a guest on the show. And uh, for what's left of the summer, maybe another month, we'll be sailing around Narragansett Bay and Long Island Sound and Buzzards Bay. Uh, Hope to see you out on the water. If you see us, say hello. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Sounds great, Bela. I love the idea of getting some lesser known but even more interesting characters on our show, which would be great. So from over here in Münster, Germany, I'll say Auf Wiedersehen and see you next time. 